Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today I'm joined by none other than Nancy Cartwright. Nancy Cartwright is the Simpsons ultimate insider. She has lended her voice to the boy immediately recognizable as none other than Bart Simpson for more than 30 years. The Simpsons is the longest running scripted show of all time. And in this audio memoir, Nancy traces the Simpsons rapid rise to wild popularity offers hilarious anecdotes about cast members and guest stars, and reveals what it's like to be at the center of an American institution. One that reinvented the sitcom, rocked the networks to the core, and forever changed the face of television. Enhanced with multiple audio clips featuring celebrity cameos on The Simpsons, I'm Still a 10-Year-Old Boy is uniquely suited to the audio experience. Audio cameos included are... Danny DeVito, Elizabeth Taylor, Mickey Rooney, Meryl Streep, Kirk Douglas, J.K. Simmons, and Beverly D'Angelo, as well as Simpsons main characters. I'm Still a 10-Year-Old Boy is currently available for pre-order on Audible, and I highly recommend you checking it out. It's a great book that's not only funny, it's insightful, and above all else, it's deeply personal and charming. I had a great time listening to it, and I had a great time talking with Nancy. I want to thank Bookman's for sponsoring the show today, and thanks to Fort Worth for letting me use the song at the end. Hope you enjoy. Thanks. Hi, Nancy. Christopher. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really, really appreciate it. Sure. It's really fun. Yeah, I had the pleasure of listening to the book over the last two days. Um, because, and I, it worked out really well because I was on a plane from Denver to Dallas, then to Tucson where I live and I hit like three delays. So it was like perfect timing to sit down with this book. And I know this is a super specific thing to start with, but, um, you personally are responsible for embarrassing me on the plane because there's this moment where you mentioned Milo and Otis, and I won't give away what the line is. And I'm not sure if you even remember what I'm talking about, but the way it's this throwaway delivery of it, that just, I started cracking up on the plane and like four people turn around like God's name is this guy doing. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I do remember what you're talking about. What if I said my water broke? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Such a true story, man. I was there. You know, we didn't have internet back then. This was like, I think it was when my my son was born in 91, and it's just like pre everything. So there wasn't a whole lot of data uh, that was on the the birth of my son. And just, you you know, today, I I mean, we have so much technology that's available just right at our fingertips, which is amazing. So it's it's almost like too much information at this point that you you have to be very careful about the information that you allow in oh, yeah. um, back then. And, and, you know, I'm 46. So I do remember the pre-internet. I'm a dinosaur. I remember the pre-internet era and trying to you know do research and find out things, especially <laughs> about like natural childbirth or anything like that. It was, you couldn't yeah. do it. And now it's just a, a, a wealth of information. So yeah, for sure. So what led uh, to the decision to do this book? Cause I, I really enjoyed it. And one thing that I, now, it's weird to even call it an audio book because this, it feels almost like a performance, like a one woman yeah. show or something. So yeah, oh, it's, it's, thank you. you know, cause there's like, just sorry, on a tangent, I, I always track the number of books I read every year and I have a goal that I set for myself and I, I'll count an audio book, but I almost feel like I shouldn't count. This like feels like cheating to count this one. <laughs> 
Well, that's really sweet of you to say that. Um, what led to it? Well, it was 20. The, the first book came out in 20 and 2000. So, mm -hmm. so much has happened since then. It's like, like two lifetimes ago for me. It's like a lot, a lot, a lot has happened. And with the show, you know, that we're digital now and um, same actors. We're all still knock wood while well, we're all still ticking here. But we got to start Hollywood Boulevard. We performed for the first time at the um, Walden Opera House in Aspen, Colorado, the Comedy Arts Festival. Um, we performed for three nights. Um, it was September of 2014 at the at, well at the Hollywood Bowl. Mm -hmm. um, what else? Just and then and and then personally for me, lots of lots has happened. You know, I'm a grandmother now. Um, I have a production company. Uh, did this, uh, did a master class. I was invited to be part of master classes. I think I'm the only voiceover person that's still on there right now. It's such a such an honor to be a part of that. That was amazing shooting that during COVID. And they decided to animate it because they couldn't they couldn't perfect. show up, you know. Which I just think the little animated Nancy. <laughs> Well, I, well yeah, that's one, one of my first things that I thought of when I was listening to this book. One of the things that grabbed me right away um, were the moments, and it's very brief, um, where you start talking about how you modulate your voice and finding the difference between you know doing a huge voice and these small, subtle changes that you can do. And, and it was utterly fascinating to me, as you know, just from a performance point of view. And I wanted to drill down into that further. And it turns out you've already done that. So yeah, I will definitely be checking that out after this. Cool. Cool. And um, let me see here. So could you talk a little about, there's an ongoing theme, I think, throughout this book, and it's about throwing yourself headfirst into your heart and following your passion. It feels like that's yeah. really, if there is a center, kind of a thesis behind this book, that really is just follow your bliss. Yeah, that's definitely one of them. Um, towards the Towards the end of it, I go over these six salient steps for successful survival. And I said, first thing you have to address is what the heck does salient mean? You know, <laughs> but it's like simple. I made it super easy because I figured if I only had six steps instead of ten, which seems to be the normal round number, then you can get to be successful much faster. So <laughs> we did these six salient steps, and the two main ones really are really do what you love and trust your instincts. Those are invaluable, you know. But the other ones that um, I think. I was going I think this this day and age where we're at culturally you kind of you you got to really recognize that not everybody is your friend and not everybody is going to be your friend and do I think I have enemies absolutely I know I have enemies and even if that's something as subtle as like somebody you know is a little jealous of what it is that I'm doing that acts as a negative thing to me and it, it, it can impact on one's life when you meet up and sometimes it's so subtle and it could be somebody that's super super close to you and you think is your best friend or it could be a relative or a teacher or whatever it could be just about anybody but I I like the idea of doing kind of a spring cleaning every now and then and looking who's who's who you've surrounded yourself with because you, it's like you need a support system to be an artist at, at in any culture. Yes. It's tough because there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of putting people down and you've got to hold your own and, oh, you're just like so-and-so and a lot of comparisons and 
people invalidating your work and making judgments and all this stuff. So for me, I keep it a really, I, I like to keep my space really clean about who I let into my life. And um, it, it's proven to be very successful for me. So that's a, that's a key one that people, and I, I go into a little bit more detail about it in the book. Yeah, you do. And and I love the way that you kind of, you just, it just, is it a net negative or a net positive? When you see this person, you feel better about yourself and the idea yeah. of keeping those people. And I, I almost feel like you could continue, bless you, uh, a step further where you could um, say, who are the people that I'm not in contact with that make me feel better? Because especially over these last few years, we, it's easy yeah. to lose track of people, especially when you're a performer and you make these very deep personal relationships with unlike the situation you're in, a lot of the times they go away very quickly where you can have yeah. this gig that ends really quickly and you have these deep relationships or there's people that you should continue to foster those relationships with. And I think that's so important. You know, you touched on something really cool there and the people that you haven't seen for a while. It's interesting because you can have a, a long distance relationship and not talk to somebody for five, six years can go yeah. by, 10 years can go by or 20, you know, decades can go by somebody that you went to junior high school with. And all, and actually that happened to me. I had my 45th class reunion last, um, last October. I hooked up with and I, I wasn't sure if I really wanted to go back because I thought it might be really, I, I thought it might be hard, not just on me, but on them. Like, uh, what's the, what's their viewpoint, me coming back and because of a different kind of a life that I am leading than living in Kettering, Ohio. But I got to tell you, Christopher, it was awesome. I had to, and I picked up with some of these friends, just like, <laughs> just like I remember when we were, when we were 16 years old together. And it was, I'm so glad that I did that. And that's, and there's some people that the whole time I stayed busy kind of flitting around and they never came up to me. And for whatever reason, I never went up to them and the whole evening weekend went by and we never kind of lighted on each other, but that's the way it goes next time, you know? Well, that's kind of how those things always go. It's that, that's just yeah. the very typical, it was no different. And these, there's something about the people that know you before there's like a veil there that it's not, there, there's nothing to gain from it. There's nothing that it's just, it was, it is. And I think the people that, you know, from when you were all figuring this nonsense out together, there's some, there's an honesty to that. You can't really replicate as an adult. I think those very deep, long friendships. Um, yeah. Okay. So there's several moments in here in this book that you talk about people with reverence and actually almost everybody you talk about in this book it's in a you're holding them in high regard but the ones that you focus on sometimes i was super excited about uh, one specifically was jonathan winters who i think is somebody that um my generation is one of unfortunately one of those generations that might be like the last one that saw him doing stuff live that saw him still making tv appearances and those kinds of things and his stuff is utterly timeless i've shown it to my you know six-year-old or my 11 year old and he's hilarious and yeah, can you just talk a little bit about getting to go toe to toe with Jonathan Winters? Because that's that, sure. that was huge. I love that. Sure. Well, um, it actually starts. Uh, it starts when I was about seventeen years old. Is that I got a job at, at WING radio station. Now, Wing Radio. It's called Wing because Dayton, Ohio, with the Wright brothers, right at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, Wright State University. So WI, you're winging it in Dayton. Um, I got this awesome job filling in for people that went on vacation. Um, and I knew that Jonathan Winters had worked there, but it wasn't at that stage. It was when it was in downtown Dayton. So he was on the air. He was the disc jockey and the president and general manager, Jim Bennett. He's the one that hired me to to work at the one in, in Kettering. 
Well, Jim, Jim shared these stories with me about Jonathan that just cracked me up. Like one time he actually was on the second story of a building in downtown Dayton and he literally brought a horse up into the studio. Okay. So there wasn't an elevator that could have taken no, a horse. Of course no, not. No, no service elevator. Even if there was, I think John, you gotta be kidding. And then another time, he, he brought a bowling ball, and the floor was not exactly level. So Jim is trying to do the news and the weather in a, in a recording booth, and it didn't have a door. So he starts hearing this, and he looks up, and there's a bowling ball rolling right towards him. Oh, my God. Was like, so, well, fast forward to then when I was, he always at use, I had, Finish. I think I was had finished UCLA. Yeah, this was like around 1981, um, 81 or 82. And I had, yeah, it was like, it was summer of 81. I had just graduated from UCLA and they were holding auditions at this theater because they were trying to put together a an ensemble of actors, like four of us to go back to Gambier, Ohio, again, my home state, and, and Gambier, Ohio is is um, Kenyon College, and Jonathan had gone to Kenyon College, and we were to be performing with Jonathan Winders at the Pirates Cove, which was some little pizza beer place on <laughs> campus, and it was going to be um, one week of rehearsal and then one week of doing the show, so it was two weeks of time, no big deal, and I had so much fun, and I, I had I had some spit and vinegar in me and was willing to kind of come toe to toe with Jonathan Winters and and on stage even during performances held my own with him. And that's a tough thing to do when you've got Jonathan Winters will be on an airplane in first class and he'll open up he'll be doing a whole, whole show for everybody on the airplane. Well, when I went to audition for that, I, I said to him, now, Jonathan, we've never met, but we've actually worked at the same place. I'm from Dayton, Ohio, and I work at, worked at WING Radio, and they told me, blah, 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 blah. And he looked at me, and he was kind of pulled it back, and he said, he said, you can't tell anybody this. You, you, you can't let anybody know this, or said, said something that was really funny, and of course, I got hired. It was, yeah, that was, I'm telling you, that was... That was very fortuitous because when I was working with him there, they were casting for this movie of the week. And I wasn't in in L.A. at the time. By the time I got gotten back, they'd seen Helen Hunt. They'd seen Meryl, um, Mayor Winningham. These were my peers of the time. Contemporaries. Yeah. And um, anyway, Jonathan had given me as a little memento or whatever there was this hat that we had as a prop which was made of that polyurethane foam it looked like it was a visor but it had these like it looked like a lobster there were these lobster legs and the eyeballs popping out of the top I mean who is going to wear that unless it's Halloween or something but I kept it and this part that I was playing was the titular role of Marion Rose White and it was a movie of the week, true story set in the 30s of this girl that was nothing wrong with her, but she was put in a in an institution yeah. where they eugenics was kind of like what the, what the psychiatry was doing that, thinking that's going to wipe out mental illness, which is just insane. Yes. So I, I went in and, and she had a sense of humor. There was nothing mentally wrong with her. She just had bad eyesight. So she wore Coke bottle glasses. So I show up at this audition with the 
the lobster thing on and these Coke bottle glasses that I went out and bought. And then I had second thoughts. I, 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 it's kind of like my instinct was to do that. Then my instinct was, no, don't do it. You don't need it. You don't mm-hmm. need props. So I took everything off and sat it aside. They came out and said, Ms. Carwright, are you ready? I went in and I auditioned and I got the part. And then later on, I find out that they saw me doing that. And I'm really glad I didn't do it. And he, it's just, I, I didn't need it. And that actually, that is a, an example of trust your instincts. I just felt like at the last minute, I don't need to have props in order to do here. Just act, just be, just be this part. So how do you know when your instinct, is it just the automatic first instinct, but when you second guess and look at the situation and say, no, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, yeah. which one of those is right? I think that's the first one. It's your gut instinct. It's that first, it's that little voice that you hear that says don't. It's like even, it, it, had, can, it can do with anything. Like when you go down on a first date or when you're meeting your kid's teacher and you're wondering, yeah. is this the best teacher? And you're going, ah, oh, you walk away. That other thing that you said, Christopher, about do you feel, use that monitor of how do you feel when you walk away from someone? Do you feel better or do you feel worse? That's, that's a gut instinct. Absolutely. And did you keep the lobster visor? I did. I Do you still have it? Yeah. Outstanding. Literally, that, that was, I'm so glad you told the story the way you did, because that was one of the questions I had. I'm like, I need, did she still keep it? Are you that type of person? And I, I absolutely would have. That would be a treasure to only <laughs> you, but. I don't know how I did this through my life, but I kept, I just, they're mild. We, we all have milestones in our lives. And for whatever reason, if like, I'll give you another example. I wrote, there was a commercial. I listened to a lot of commercials and when, especially working at the radio station mm-hmm. and wrote to people, wanted to find out who this actor was and really got into it. Well, one of these commercials that was on television was for Tootsie, Tootsie Pops. And it was animated and it was like, there was an owl and it was a little boy and he's trying to find out how many licks. I remember it. Yeah. Remember yeah. That? Yes, I do. So, and the, 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 the wrap up of it was, I guess the world may never know. And you, you, mm-hmm. they don't ever answer the question. So I got a Tootsie Pop and I opened it up. And sure enough, there was the name of the manufacturer was on there and an address. And so I started to count all these things. And I got over like a thousand licks on this sucker, <laughs> literally. And I wrote them a letter and they, I couldn't believe it, but the marketing, they had their act, they had their act so together. They wrote me back this letter and I can't believe recently I've been going through my archival stuff and mm-hmm. I came across the letter and it was so, so cool. clever. And they wrote it like a poem, like, um, I forget how it's, how they said it a bit at the end. It said, thanks for your, Thanks for your 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 question. We hold it most dearly. Um, we hope we hope you liked our Tootsie Pop. And to you, most sincerely, HG Moniker Public Relations or something. But it was a whole poem that they wrote, and I That's was great. so impressed. And I saved that. Other things like Fellini writing, you know, writing to Fellini. Now that was fought like chasing Fellini, chasing this story, trying to make this film into a a La Strada, trying to make that into a play, trying to do this story. That that was chasing this vision that you had, but it ended up having a totally different impact on your life that you couldn't have seen at the time that I'm assuming shaped you as a person. It's so catapulted me into a whole different direction as an artist 
to be straight up with you. It's like I realized that I have so many more abilities than I ever really realized. I think we all have these abilities, by the way, but it has to do, I think people's own um, considerations and sometimes people have, have been told, no, you can't do that or you're not good at that. So they start to believe that maybe that's true. They don't feel like it's worth their effort to try to paint again or, or to paint at all. But for me, I... Um, yeah, I had studied La Strada in an acting. This is way before The Simpsons. This is like '85, <laughs> and so I was in an acting class and studied it, and thought, "Wow!" And my teacher wanted me to look at Julietta Messina's performance, and I did. And I did every every scene you could possibly do. And I thought, "What am I going to do with this?" So I thought, "Well, I'll develop it into a into a play." So I had to get the rights to do that. I didn't know how to do that, so I'm like. I'm out of here. I'm going to go to Italy. I'll just find Fellini. He'll see me. He'll fall in love with me. He'll oh, cast me in his movies. <laughs> you know, it was so I, I, the, the ignorance of youth is such a beautiful thing. It's so wonderful. It's amazing. Oh, well, and then I, I end up having, it was an odyssey. It was like, not just an adventure, but I ate, drank, I fell in love. I just, I met so many and I got myself in so much trouble. I, I don't want to give it all away, but, um, there's it's the highs and lows definitely were there my life was threatened and 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 at the same time i you know the next day i was in exhilaration it was quite a a roller coaster ride of an adventure but when i got home i realized that my story was definitely the story to tell not a remake of la strada but talk about my own adventure so it developed and it took quite some time because in in the middle of all that i fell in love had two babies you know, I, I did some other things. And by 1995, I realized I got to do this as a one woman show. So I did it as a one woman show. It did really well. 20 years later, decided I got to make this as a film. And so we did it and it got tons of awards in, in, with all yeah. the film festivals and Maria Bello, Ksenia Solo, Mary Lynn Reiskub were in it. I Well deserved, by the way. It's, um, it's a, yeah, it's pretty damn impressive. So. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, make make some pasta, have a glass of wine. <laughs> you can find it on Amazon. It's it's available. It's just a passion piece. I'm so proud of it. Thanks for oh. thanks for all that, man. Oh, of course. And I think it all can be summarized by over your left shoulder, you have this little um, license plate that says create for you. And that's really what, uh, you know, so much of an, an actor's yeah. journey, so much of a, yeah, <laughs> your left. Yeah, I'm backwards. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's that idea that you're waiting for permission so often for people to give you the green light to say, go ahead. Yes, you can create. But when you're creating, you're creating within this narrow space. So expressing yourself, you have this far that you can go. And so yeah. you're very, you're being, you know, your ankles are being taken out from under you constantly as a creative performer in that way. And I think that the more that you can find space to do that and express yourself in ways that test your limitations, I think is important. That's right. And we were talking earlier about social media. It's like, wow, in the internet or whatever, but like social media is an awesome tool to find out other. I'm so inspired by, by the stuff I see on there. I make notes. I send a copy of it to myself to remind myself, try this, try that. And I mean, what can you do? So you make a mistake. So, all right. So you move on. It's not like you're, being you're nobody's judging you while you're doing it mm -hmm. and once you do it you just do it till you're satisfied and if you want to post something like that i mean people obviously people are making 
making businesses out of this. I, I'm, I'm pretty impressed. Well, the reason that we're talking today is because of social media. It's because I started a blog 10 years ago and started building on this thing and it just became something out, out of nowhere. And that I'm sitting here having, I've, that I've interviewed two people from The Simpsons and one of the writers from The Simpsons at this point now. One of these things that couldn't get my head around that idea because 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you would have had to ask for permission. I would have needed to wow. go intern at a place yeah. and make a thing and it would have had to have been a whole career path. And it was just something I was doing for fun. It became something. You don't have to wait for people to say yes anymore. You can just do it and do it for your own self-expression. I think that's the most important thing. Well, how cool for you and how often do you do these? One a week or? Um, it, it depends on the week. It's usually at least one a week, um, but sometimes there's two, three a week. So it's yeah. um, like the week of Sundance when you're doing that, that kind of coverage, you're doing like 10 <laughs> a week sometimes. So yeah, there can be quite a few. Well, and you've really set yourself up beautifully, even just in the short time that we've been talking and I know that you've done, you've done research and you, you, you actually, li- I can't, I mean, how cool that you took a trip because it's seven hours. I mean, it's a seven hour, two minute, you know, audio book. Well, but... I listened to it one, one and a half times. I was trying to get through oh it twice. My... Well, that's my, that, that, that's literally my process is the first time I listen to something or read something or watch something just as pure audience member. I, I want to enjoy wow. it as an audience member. And then I can watch it with a critical guy and take notes. Cause if you're watching something and taking notes, I think you're missing too much. So if I can, I try to, that's how I try. Wow, that's impressive. Well done. Thank you. Thank you you so much for that. Well, and it makes it a lot easier when I'm enjoying myself. Honestly, if it's something that that I like, it's not, doesn't feel like homework or anything. It's that this is something that I enjoy doing. Um, And and I know we're kind of running short on time, but there was a, you know, I'm I'm looking through all these notes here and say, okay, I got to just the other point of reverence that you have here that I noticed um, was for kind of two things, but one was for Joe Dante. And he's one of the, he's one of those guys that was just a, a hero of mine. He's one of those people oh, that you, that I started noticing right away. And I, and then I started like learning about his love of animation and going back through that. And that's how I kind of fell in love with these old, you know, things that he was really into. It was, you know, kind of learn it gave me a new appreciation listening to interviews with him of Hanna-Barbera and Looney Tunes and these things that he was deeply into and not just the main ones. He was really deep that knew his stuff. So yeah, I was really happy to hear that part of the book. Yeah. And when I met him for that audition, I had no idea who this, you know, I, I was told it was Joe Dante. I didn't, we didn't have again, the research on it. No. I, I just showed up to meet this producer, uh, director, he was so kind to me and he just looked at my resume and Christopher, my resume was like nothing. First place in humorous interpretation. I mean, I had no statistics and I didn't, I didn't, the concept of lying. I just, I don't think I, it would it make me not sleep very well. You're an Ohio that. girl. It's just, you know. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he's looking at my resume and he sees Dawes Butler's name and he's like, Whoa, you know, Dawes <laughs> Butler. And I said, well, he's my mentor. What do you mean? I said, well, I'm, I'm from Ohio and I'm just out here. I've been here for about a year and a half and I catch the bus in Westwood and go to his house and take, oh my God. He goes, oh, I love him. He's amazing. Here, Nancy, just read your resume. Just read your bio. Just read something. Okay. You're hired. It was like that. I'm like, this is how you do it. I love this. (laughs) Sure. And it's that exact thing. You were you were following a love of this thing. There was no cynicism in it. And I think that's, that's such a important part of it that it's so easy 
to get wrapped up in following things and chasing things for the wrong reasons. And it's, there's no, I don't pick up a cynical bone in your body. You're, you're a really good performer. So you could be lying to me and doing a really good job and lied for seven <laughs> hours on that book, but I don't think that's who you are. And I feel like that you're an, a genuine person. And I think that's why you found the work that you have. And people said, Oh, I, we want to be around good people. We want to be around people that make our day better. You know, if you yeah. have a career and you're, you're hiring people, why would you want to spend time with an asshole? So I, it's so not true. worth it. So true. But sometimes I don't have any say in it. If I'm honest, <laughs> I just put up with it. And then <laughs> for sure, then you, you get in a car, you make sure you have nice music and have a little snack in the car. So you don't have road rage or whatever. And, you know, get yourself to the next deal. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank, I, I, I'm recommending this book to everybody. This is something that I think you should pick up. This is a really easy set. It's a good time. It's entertaining as hell. Um, I really dug it. And it was, this has been a real honor to speak to you today. So oh, guys, thank you, you so much for taking questions? the time. Do you have more that you want to? We, oh, well, yeah, yeah. I just know that we were, we were getting short on time and I always try to be yeah, respectful. No, you can ask that. me a few more. I'm okay. Oh, thank you. So, yeah. okay. One thing that I had, and it's kind of a, outside of your scope of things necessarily was the idea of an audiobook being referred to as a narration. If it's narrated, I feel like that's what I would do if I was reading an audiobook, um, that it would just be reading the words on a page and not bringing life to them. It feels like it should be a performance. It feels like when you say it shouldn't be narrated by, it should be performed by. And it's a hell of an undertaking because you're doing a performance for anywhere from five to 25 hours, depending on the book. So yeah. do, do you think yeah. of that as a performance or do you think of that as a narration yeah. of a written piece? You are so insightful, man. I, you know, I never really, I never really thought about it. I just figured since I wrote it uh, and since this is my field uh, doing voices that I thought I, I can't, I have to be the only one. And that actually was a decision that came down from, from my agent that said, do you, are you going to do this as a hardback book? And I'm like, I don't think I should. And he goes, no, no, no. Yeah. I don't think you should either. And I, that was decided very early on that it should just be an audio book. And there are people that don't listen to audiobooks, and that's a risk that I was willing to take. You know, it, I, I suppose I could, I think it's a little too late now since the audiobook's out and it would have been nice to have it a hardback copy, but I just think, you know, people that love listening to podcasts or watching podcasts or video casts or whatever you would call them, I think that's a public that would probably love to, you know, to, to buy uh, to buy an audiobook. Absolutely. I, it is nonstop talking. And I I think it took me five five days to do of like four four hour sessions, twenty about twenty hours or something like that to do it. I had a blast. It was fun. Well, it's uh, it's one of those things that you make it seem very effortless. But if you actually spend the time and this book is it's a dense performance, you are going through a lot of material very quickly sometimes. And there's even moments that, you know, I, it's hard to say that I spent seven hours in something that there, I, there were times where I was like, oh, I wish you could have drilled down into that one moment a little bit more. But then the audiobook format for I get to listen to your demo tape. Um, and that's something that you talk about. And um <laughs> The thing I thought of when I heard your demo tape, it was kind of like, and please don't take this the wrong way. I guess I'm risking blowing the whole interview by making this comparison, yeah, yeah. but it felt like boogie nights to me because the whole time you're watching boogie nights, you're hearing about Mark Wahlberg's uh, manhood. And then you're like, you're, you, so I don't care who you are. By the end of the film, you're curious. You're like, okay, what does this thing look like? And then they finally show it for the last shot. 
And it's like, you're building up this demo tape and talking about this idea of a demo tape. And you let that out very early into the book, but it was something where you actually get to hear what that was that you were building to. And it's really impressive. Oh gosh. Thanks. Thank you so much. And Dawes Butler, my mentor, um, Huckleberry Hound, Yogi Bear, Quick Draw McGraw. He did all these Hanna-Barbera characters. He um, was, he really helped me. He, he really, really helped me. We had corresponded for a couple of years and then I transferred to UCLA from Ohio University and took these classes one a week um, on Sundays and meant to be an hour, ended up being four hours. Uh, I could have been his daughter, you know, in terms of the lineup of his family. And I had, yeah, and you find out there's, so I don't want to give it all away, but no, something no, no. just happened. You know, I, there was a big loss that had just happened and I'd, I'd never been on an airplane in my life. I was 20 and I'm moving to Los Angeles from Kettering, Ohio. I just, my mom and dad were concerned about that and wanted to make this flight with me and make sure I was okay. But Dawes and his wife really kind of took me under their wings and made sure I was fine. And he would drive, they would drive me home from the four hour lesson instead of one hour. It was four hours long, drive me back to my dorm at UCLA, but stop at Pitt's barbecue. I think loves, loves barbecue pit. I think it's on Pico Boulevard and Mm -hmm. We would, he would, they'd treat me to, I was like working in the cafeteria. I had no job. I mean, I was a struggling, you know, artist, um, student at the time. So this, that was part of my meager beginning. Um, but I, I kind of cherish those times and reflecting on it. It was cathartic doing this book. It was very cathartic. I, I was. It feels like it. It's again, it's that idea of cynicism. You don't feel it at all. It feels like it. It's like that one person show. It's that idea. It's like I we sat down next to you at a bar and you just said, hey, do you want to hear a story? I have a story to tell you. It has that intimate of a feeling to it. It's it's great. It's this is the I got into film, like really got into film through theater. And it was through black box theater, small watching actors do their thing, seeing performance. And that's always been the greatest magic trick to me is watching performers. And this is absolutely a performance piece. And I really loved it. So congratulations on it. Thank you so much. I I do have one thing. And again, it's that idea of, I could be blowing this, but um, so my six-year-old son is completely obsessed with the Titanic. We have dozens of books, not only kids' books, but adult books about the Titanic. When we sit down and we read every night, to him, we'll read a half hour of, uh, you know, Ballard going out to look for the wreckage of the Titanic. And that can, wow. when we're going to go to New York, he's saying, can we look up James Ballard? I, I don't know many six-year-olds that are looking for that. Wow. Kind of, I've seen wow. the movie dozens of times. With that being said, Disney Plus gets The Simpsons. And it's, it starts triggering for me right away. I'm like, oh, the opening of the movie. Let me see what he would think of this, considering his knowledge of the Titanic, because there's a there's a Titanic joke in the beginning of it. Green Day is on the barge and it sinks and they do that moment where they start playing the music from the Titanic. And it's been an honor playing with you, gentlemen, kind of thing. And they go down. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this because it was this moment that I got to share something with my son that he had a cultural reference that he understood and really got his head around a joke that just wasn't something it was abstract. It wasn't just, you know, getting hit over the head with something. It was an actual, he got that kind of a joke and it was really cool to see. Wow. And so since then we've gone back and watched a bunch of them. Cause you guys have done that. Like I think a dozen times now. That is 
How special is that? Because at age six, I don't, I will have parents come up to me and they know that I'm Bart Simpson and they they find out or I I blow it or whatever. I reveal myself and they've got their kid with them and they want me to do the voice. And I haven't had a thought about it. I go, yeah, I don't think a five-year-old is really going to grasp the contest, the the concept of me saying, hi, I'm Bart Simpson. What's happening, man? Because I, I tried it early on. This was in the early 90s. And they would get scared. They would back off. And yeah. This was like three to five, three to five, six-year-olds. They they didn't quite get it. I didn't get it as a kid. I mean, by the time I was 16, I'm like, you get paid to do that? Like, people make a living doing what? Yeah. I thought those characters just lived in my television set. Not quite that bad. But <laughs> a little kid, it's a tough concept to, to understand so that your son can grasp that that really says something amazing about him and how cool that you are his dad and you recognize that and you provide opportunities for him to to enhance his his curiosity even more that's the as a parent one thing i think we can do is just foster curiosity if you they see show an interest in something doesn't matter if it's my interest or not it's just chase it follow it. It's, I'm not trying to create a mirror image of me. If he happens to pick up some of the stuff I love along the way, cool. Yeah. If not, I'm going to find the things that he loves and try to give him all that he can, you know, follow yeah. with that because he has an appreciation of history now and he's following that path. And man, he's, he's already, he's going to be leaps and bounds ahead of me by the time he's 10 years old. He'll, yeah. I'll, I'll be learning from him. I already am learning from him in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's so, cool. That's really But cool. thank you for that. And, yeah, and you're welcome. would you, would you mind if it just, I'll pull this out of the episode and I won't put it there, but would you mind saying hello to Jacob as Bart? He would get a That's huge kick up. His name's sure. Jacob. Yo, Jacob, dude. Hi buddy. What's happening? All right. Hey, I just want to say something about your old man. That's your dad. Sometimes, sometimes your dad is actually right. Do you know what I mean? Most of the time you're right, but sometimes your dad's right. So I'm just saying, throw him a bone every now and then. (laughs) I'm I'm like on the verge of tears right now, Nancy. (laughs) Oh, God. What a surreal moment. Thank you so much for for (laughs) indulging that. That that was highly rude of me. I'm sorry. That was very unprofessional. No, I love it. I love doing that for people. It's one of my... It's kind of like a a perk of, of, of being an anonymous celebrity. It... It just keeps, it sounds so corny, but that, that the gift that keeps on giving, you know, you've heard it before, but it does. I, I don't, I, it does. It's not worn out on me. I don't have nine spikes on the top of my head. My skin isn't yellow. I don't have, I actually have a jaw, you know, I've got an attractive jaw. Um, but so do, I'm never, I'm never recognized. So it's like, occasionally it happens between rarely and occasionally it happens but it, after thir- we had our first table read today Christopher season oh. 34 today wow. so this is unbelievable Crazy. and it just doesn't happen it's not like Julia Roberts walking down the street or Danny DeVito or do you know what i mean it's yeah, not yeah. recognized so it's it's still a novelty to me and i like i like creating that jaw dropping like like a penny dropping kind of recognition of like, oh, she's him. Yeah. Well, it's you, you have a magic trick, like the great, you're one of the most known people on the planet. 
and yet nobody knows who you are. Like what a what a cool cool existence. It's like it's a like a celebrity hack or something, I guess, where you get to be anonymous and famous at the same time. It's really a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, listen, there is. You know, you had pointed out this sign, this create for you sign. I want to do a shameless self promotion. Please. That's, that's yeah. okay. We're doing, um, I have expanded, I do art and painting and sculpting and stuff. And you could, you'll find out more about that. I'm working on the website, um, the, the, the fine art is coming along. But we, I am a, a partner, there are three other partners in a production company. And one of our films is called Borrego. Okay. And it's out right now. And you can see it on um, Paramount Plus and Apple TV. It's, um, we shot it in Spain actually in 20 like October of 2020 and Lucy Hale stars in it and people would know her she's she's kind of amazing she was in Pretty Little Liars and um The Hating Game is on right mm-hmm. now it's a like a, a rom-com she kills it man and it's it's a it's a action thriller and it's about a drug mule and these light light airplanes that come from Mexico over the border into the Anzo Borrego desert where these drugs are, they've got a destination drop site and this guy is bringing these drugs over and she witnesses a plane crash. So it's the story of her being kidnapped and what happens. And it's, it's a real um, human rights kind of a message. It's more than just your casting casting Mexicans in, in, in a role that makes them look like it's like I'm degrading them. And it's not that at all. It's telling some truth about humanity in that we are all victims of, of what's happening to our culture having to do with drugs. And I'm very proud of it in a different way than I was with Fellini. I, I did not live, I didn't write this one. It's not my story. But Jesse, um, Jesse Harris, who is the writer and director of it, just killed it. And it's I'm very, very proud of it for a, a more of a, a, a bigger, a bigger reason that I think it touches on everyone's lives. Where where can people find Borrego? Where, where's this? Yeah, they can see it um, on Apple TV and it's on Amazon Prime now. Um, I think pretty much across the um, platforms. You can Wherever see you rent the things, you can get it there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. It means sheep, by the way. Like people are... <laughs> no extra charge for the sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, this Not a been... comedy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, yeah. But I, no, of course not. And it's... Um, it's it, we're, we all have that duality though. Everybody has, we're not just, it's not on all the time and it's not serious all the time. Anybody who is one thing, anybody who is not dynamic, that's not human. What it means to be human oh. is to be all of the emotions. And it's just, no, you so nailed it. you so nailed it. And it, it's kind of like, depending upon who you're talking to, that's how I see it. You can change your attitude and we're all like a composite of so many different characters and yes. attitudes and stuff like that. I think it's kind of fun. Oh, it is. And and there's so much of it that's uh, performative to some degree where you are a certain person around other people or in certain situations. You know, me and my wife in a specific situation will yeah. be totally different than it's the two of us alone by ourselves when we don't have judgment. That there's a, definitely a performance out in public. So, yeah. but then again, if we were those two maniacs that we are when we're alone, that, that, that <laughs> wouldn't be healthy either. So, 
No, I, I understand. Absolutely. Nancy, I can't tell you how, how great it was to talk to you. And thank you for indulging all of my questions today. Yeah, so you this bet. Been, this, this has been fun. great. Yeah. Well, I, I will I will be putting this out right away, recommending it to people. I want people to check out the book and also um, I will be checking out Borrego. I'll be looking into this. And yeah, cool. uh, we're connected on Twitter already. I don't know if you manage your Twitter account yourself or not, but we, we are there. So I will be cool. putting it out there and making sure that people find the book because it's a good one. Well, I will promote that I was on this. I'll do my own PR and marketing on my own social media. And I think yours will have a little bit more of a reach than mine, but I'll do my best. Well, absolutely. It's been such a pleasure, Christopher. Thank you so much for for all your support and your interest. Perfect. Thank you, Nancy. I hope you have a great day. And congratulations on 34. That's huge. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. If you live in Arizona, you know, Bookman's there's six locations and it's by far one of the best places to go. If you're looking for books, vinyl, movies, instruments, video games, home decor, or really anything else. It's a great place to start when you're looking to support a local store in the community. It's a one-stop location for arts, culture, and entertainment. In fact, I went there this week uh, looking for some David Lynch. I've been on a big David Lynch kick lately. I got the Twin Peaks box set from my brother-in-law this year, and I've been revisiting that. And when I got that, I realized there's quite a few holes in my uh, collection where there's a lot of his stuff that I don't have. And I went there thinking, well, there's so many of his movies that I don't have. I'm sure there's a chance I'll find something. And wouldn't you know it, I went in and found a Blu-ray copy of the Criterion disc of Eraserhead, which was pretty much the top of the list of the David Lynch films that I wanted to get, that and Inland Empire. They had it right there for it, so I was able to pick that up this week, and I was so excited. And um, something I'm going to be able to share with my wife because she's never seen it, and I'm sure she's going to hate me for it when I actually show her this film because if you haven't seen Eraserhead, um, it's definitely not for everyone. Um, David Lynch is one of those filmmakers who makes films that for the most part um, are for a very specific type of audience but then every once in a while he would do something like The Straight Story which is this rated G film about a guy driving across Texas I think maybe it's Oklahoma I can't somewhere flat um, driving across the country on a tractor and then or he'll do The Elephant Man and he does these completely straight normal um, middle of the road films but then it seems like most of the stuff that he is known for is the blue velvet side of things he's known for twin peaks and you know inland empire that i mentioned before and these bizarre surreal fever dream uh fever dream logic type films and one of my favorite filmmakers and i was able to put one of my favorite films of his on my wall into my collection because I stopped by Bookman's this week and it's something that if you go to Bookman's you'll realize immediately that Bookman's has your cool covered. Get back to the interview. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks.